0: Hello and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, and uh, episode number 20. This is awesome. Things are going. We appreciate it. And when I say we appreciate it, I mean I appreciate it, and I appreciate you, the listener, taking the time to hang out, download this, listen to this, however you are consuming this, I appreciate that. Just want to get some business out of the way. Punk News Podcast Network. We are a part of that. You should go check out punknews.org if you already don't. And if you don't, you are completely fucking up. Actually, not completely, just sort of. But uh, go check it out because they have all of the latest and greatest news, music reviews, like every Tuesday. So basically, when you get this episode, go visit punknews.org. You can find new music reviews every Tuesday. Um, as well as a bunch of other awesome podcasts that they do there. So check it out. We are proud to be a part of that. Two other things. Review the show on iTunes. If you do have anywhere between two to four minutes in your day and you're in front of the computer, pop on iTunes, write something about the show, good or bad, preferably good. Uh, and that way, you know, it gives people a little, uh, insight to the show that may look at the show and be like, I don't know if I should like this, but Hey, I read this review from X awesome dude, X. I, and they said they liked it. So I'll check it out. So do that. And if you have 30 seconds, you can also just click on the five star rating system. You don't even have to leave a review. Just click how many stars you feel this, this show is worth, and uh, it'll calculate that, and that's awesome. So the more reviews we get, the more iTunes juice we get, and hopefully one day we'll be as popular as This American Life, which would be awesome, but we'll, uh, that'll, that'll be a few years off. And last, and certainly not least, 100WordsPodcast.com. Drop by the site, you'll be able to... F- field recommendations from music and movies and kind of whatever else that I'm not really able to share on the podcast. Um, I try to post daily, uh, so that way you'll be able to kind of see what either myself or some of our guests are recommending. Um, So yeah, check it out. And if you're a Tumblr person, you can follow the blog uh, via that service. And uh, yeah, so there we go. Business out of the way. And before I talk about our guest, I wanted to talk about something random that I'm going to be doing soon that I think is funny uh, and pretty interesting in a way. So there's a television show called How the States Got Their Shape, and uh, I don't know if, if any of you have watched it, but I watched, I don't know, three or four episodes of the first season, and it was awesome. It's a really cool show, basically about the story behind the story of America in regards to the way that, or why people live in certain areas of the country, and you know, why these states look like they do, and it's just stuff that you really don't think of on a day-to-day basis, unless you're a complete history nerd, which I'm not, but no slight against history nerds. Um, But yeah, this show definitely just kind of boils it down, puts it in context in a very entertaining way. So... Lo and behold, I'm going to be on that show. They're doing a show in Vegas. I don't know if the whole entire show is centered on Las Vegas, but uh, I myself was born there. And they were looking for a person who is straight edge, which is myself, and born in Vegas. Like I said, that's myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be doing something. I know that I'm going to be doing a quiz, which will be funny. Um, on General Nevada slash Las Vegas knowledge and I will be competing against um, what I'm told is a bartender and I guess the idea of like why I would be on the show is the fact that someone can come from an environment like Las Vegas you know booze and drugs and strip clubs and all that type of stuff I'm not condoning any of that because I personally don't do that but if you do do that stuff Your decision, no judgment whatsoever. But anyways, uh, so yeah, they're kind of doing the juxtaposition of that, like, how could a person come from this environment and not be interested in any of that? Um, So yeah, it's going to be a really interesting experience, and I will inform all of you fine folk if uh, I do make the cut and don't miss a million questions. Uh, If I do miss questions, all the questions, then I will not inform you of when it airs because I don't want to be too embarrassed. But then again, you'll probably see it in some way, shape, or form. So, anyways, that is what is exciting that is coming up for me that I will fill all you fine folk in. The guest this week is Craig Erickson, the owner, CEO, proprietor, whatever you like to call him, of Rise Records. Um... And a lot of you probably have opinions on Rise Records, and either how it's awesome or it sucks or whatever. Um, I really hope that that even if you do hate Rise Records, that you do listen to Craig and kind of get to know him, and because uh, he really does be—he really is very candid with me on why he does what he does and why he signs so many different bands of so many different genres, um, and he tries to dispel a lot of the hate and myths that sometimes go tossed around about this label. I personally enjoy Craig, and uh, whether or not I enjoy 100% of the bands that he puts out, that's irrelevant. Um, but I do think that what he does is uh, it's cool, and it's, uh, I think, needed within the musical culture that he's able to put out bands like Hot Water Music and then put out bands like Abandoned All Ships, where it's like, they would never be hanging out ever in the same room, but because they're on a label, there's some sort of camaraderie there. But um, in any event, it's a very enlightening conversation, and I hope you take the time to dissect it and form your own opinion, because after all, that's what this is all about. So uh, you'll hear us as we're talking about how I first met Craig and how I was going to work for Rise Records at one point. There, I wouldn't said it. So, yeah, you'll get to hear a little bit of that and uh, the rest of the interview. So, thank you very much.
1: Enjoy.
0: So, yeah, usually I like to start things off with, like, my own personal experience with either the label or yourself or whatever. and I just, I mean, I remember our first, obviously, real conversations between you and I were, um, you know, when I was working at Century Media slash Abacus, and we were talking about, mm-hmm. you were looking for, or you were entertaining the idea of doing dis- different distribution deals. Um, I'm sure at that time it was like, you were talking to probably a million different people because Rise was obviously, pardon the pun, but on the Rise where people were people were paying yep. attention to the label in ways that kind of never had happened before, right?
2: Correct, definitely.
0: Um, so I just always, it, it kind of blew my mind when I first started to talk to you where it was like, you know, essentially at that time, and this, you know, we're talking like maybe 2000, I don't know, 2002 or something like that. And mm-hmm. you were, it blew my mind that it was basically just you and one other person. And Yeah, totally, man. And that just like, had, did you always want to kind of, basically have that super, super tight knit, just like, I don't want to hire a staff of like 30 people. Not like, th- I mean, 30 is ridiculous, but
2: like eight people. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you always have that I, in mind?
2: Um, Never. I mean, I didn't think about it too much, but you know, I always felt like the more employees you have, the more headaches and stress of just personnel and just you know, it gets to be complicated when you have a lot of people working on things. And right now we have like four people, including myself. And, uh, you know, I feel like to be honest, I kind of like the size we're at really not looking to expand, you know, Mm -hmm. because right now everything is running how I ideally like it to. It's like a boutique, you know, record label. We sign bands and, uh, we, we work them hard and, you know, it's, uh, just four of us and it's it's, our communication is awesome and we all know what's going on. And, um, it's just a little easier, man. It makes life a little less stressful, you know, kind of like a stress free life. So. Yeah,
0: no. And that, and that's funny because I honestly never really think about it from that perspective of like, once you do hire more people, that's like, you know, I mean you obviously essentially being the owner, you're the manager of everybody, but it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, when you do get to the point where it's just like, most of my time is spent with like ev- employee evaluations and like the sort of you know human resources stuff, and it's like you don't, right. to, you, don't you don't want to do that.
2: <laughs> I agree. The more employees, the more HR stuff, and you know it's uh i'm in it for the music and you know so are my guys that i hired and you know it's it's awesome so. yeah
0: no no that's and so that's yeah going back that's kind of that that's what sort of impressed me and that obviously inspired me to be like hey craig i want to work with you and obviously we i uh,
2: know were- dude i remember that you know i think our geography was the main issue you know you not being able to move to from LA and um, me just needing someone in house with me you know so
0: no totally, totally. and there was there was obviously no love lost it just didn't uh, oh
2: yeah totally I,
0: it was one of those things where it's like I you know usually I find myself when I do find something that is like interesting for me to work with it's like I always I always bring up the idea to people I'm definitely not like oh I'll wait around and maybe if they think I'm a reasonable human they'll, they'll try to talk to me but I just remember having those discussions with you and it was a uh, it was cool. Then obviously like when I came through on tour, we met up and, you know, had, had dinner or lunch or whatever. Um, and then, you know, I got to know you a little bit and then it, it was, uh, the thing that also struck me was like, you know, people obviously have a conception of what rise records is, um, and preconceived notions and whatever. And then hearing, you know, your own personal, musical tastes where you're just like, yeah, I got into music, like, you know, some of your favorite bands were like, obviously like the East Bay punk bands, like Jawbreaker and stuff Mm -hmm. like that.
1: Yep. For sure.
0: And I have imagined that most people don't, wouldn't put two and two together based off of what you've personally released, you know?
2: Right. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. So it just, it kind of, it kind of took me back. And so anyways, so that, that's, I'm setting the table for everybody, (laughs) but uh, where, uh, were you always kind of born and raised in the Pacific Northwest area or where did your, where was your upbringing?
2: Let's say okay, the upbringing was, um, grew up in Southern California. I was born in Riverside, lived there for like a year while my dad was in residency. Um, then we moved to Scripps Ranch outside of San Diego Okay, for a few years. And then I moved to Los, Ditos, which is right near your hood. And, uh, lived there for a couple years, and then in kindergarten, first grade, I moved up to Northern California in Nevada City, which is um, near Lake Tahoe, in between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, and that's where I pretty much grew up all through, you know, up until college.
0: Yeah, so where did your, uh, your, your parents do? You mentioned your dad was in residency.
2: Yep, my dad's a doctor, and uh, he was a doctor up, uh, up in Nevada City. Oh, nice. Internate, what- yep.
0: What did he? Uh, what specific per, or uh, specialty? I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was an internist, so just a family practitioner slash internist. You know, so he did a a little bit of everything, actually.
0: Sure, sure. And were your uh, were your parents together, or were you raised primarily by your dad?
2: Nope, together they. Uh, yep, still together now, and they live in Portland near me, and I'm very close with them still. So it's cool to have them around. No, oh, that's nearby. nice. Did they yeah.
0: did they make the move up to Portland kind of after you had been up there Yeah. You know, was it
2: They moved first actually and um it's kind of funny because we both kind of argue who who wanted to move to Portland first cuz I had always wanted to and they my dad was kind of getting burned out of his his doctor stuff in Nevada City and got a job for a hospital up in Portland and they moved there first and kind of was like beat me to it. Um, <laughs> so it, was a, it, was, it
0: was a race to Portland.
2: <laughs> yeah, kind of. So I I've, I've followed shortly after um, just by circumstance. It's a cool city, man. Um, I'd traveled up here a couple of times and just really liked it. I was, was in California my whole life and wanted to try something new, and get out. And um, you know, Portland's pretty, pretty close by relatively. So yeah, no, definitely. To do it.
0: Definitely. What did your uh, What did your mom do? Did she stay at home and help raise you?
2: Yeah, pretty much. She helped my dad at the office. She was like, you know, one of um, the office people. Sure, sure. Help with books, QuickBooks stuff. Sure. Back when they wrote it on paper, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> back, back, back when they used uh, you know a tablet and stone, right?
2: <laughs> I know. Jeez, no doubt.
0: What did um? So do you have any brothers
2: and sisters? Yep, I have a brother. Three years older, he lives in Oklahoma. He's a lawyer, um, like an assistant DA in oh, Tulsa.
0: Nice, nice. You, you definitely, yeah. have, you definitely have a lot of uh, different backgrounds within the family. That obviously you could, you know, lean on your mom to help you out with like finance stuff with the label, probably when you were first forming and like. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no doubt. The doctor is handy, you know, for obvious reasons. And, you know, yeah. the law comes in handy too. So yeah. I've, I've definitely seek advice from, from everyone and, uh, it, it doesn't hurt. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you're, <laughs> you're, uh, like you said, your formative years were definitely like in the, you know, the, you said, what, what city was it
1: again?
2: Uh, Nevada city, Nevada was, city. you know, yeah, right outside of Sacramento, up in the hills. And, you know, it's like, uh, two and a half hour drive to berkeley hour drive to sacramento so to go to shows when i was a kid i had to drive you know a little bit but it's no big deal
0: yeah for, well yeah I, I remember i definitely remember when i was you know a teenager and the idea of driving to a show like two to two and a half hours away was like not even a problem i would be like oh yeah no doubt. I, you just you just got to go to a show, of course. <laughs> Whereas whereas now it'd be like, yeah, if it's within like 20 minutes, that's cool.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Um,
0: Yeah. Um, So when you, uh, basically, you know, as you started to kind of go through school and high school and everything, um, you know, this is a two part question, but. One, like, how was your high school experience where, you you know, what sort of stereotype did you kind of fit in with, you know, did you play a lot of sports? Were you kind of a, you know, nerdy indoor kid or like, what was your experience from that? And then second part would be Mm -hmm. kind of what came, what introduced you to independent music to kind of begin with?
2: Sure, sure. My high school um, was pretty cool. Nevada Union High School. I graduated in like 1991 and uh, I was... It was pretty cool. We had a lot of diverse little groups in our high school, but they're all like cool with each other. And, um, you know, I would have fallen into the, the music, punk, rock, kid, skateboarder, surfer dude that played high school sports. So I was like the dude that skated, but yet still did sports. I did like tennis. I was on the ski team. Whoa, I played the, the like ski, one.
0: The ski team. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was awesome. Like we won the whole state too. It was oh wow! Pretty badass. That's yep. awesome. We got to skip school once um, in the winter every Tuesday and like go race at Squaw Valley or, or wherever. And um, so that was sweet, actually.
1: Yeah.
2: So yeah, I did, you know, did some sports. Um, always been pretty active, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm pretty much just a surfer guy. That's my main activity i do
0: yeah that's what that's what you you focus on i mean that's ski team yep. is ski team is essentially what like surf team is obviously down here in southern california where it's like you know kids go to you know they enroll in their class and they go in at yep. like you know five in the morning they go they show up before school to get their surfing in and then go there but ski team sounds a little exactly. bit ski team sounds a little bit more luxurious in a way
2: yeah it's pretty cool we got it it was free to ski and man if you'd crash in a race you just got to go free ski with your buddy so
1: (laughs) if I were to crash
2: I'd be like oh no no I just get to go jump all day so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah all bummer um and so uh so in general your high school experience was 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 good like you sound kind of like a a floater where you were able to get along with people in different
2: yeah totally I had friends that were docs and you know, I was probably more on the, the, you know, the skater was intertwined with the punk dudes. Like a lot of dudes were in bands and we had a really good local scene, you know, yeah, which was, you know, pretty typical actually. And, you know, I was all a part of that and, um, you know, obviously pre-internet. So it was pre-cell phone era. So it was a little, you know, you did flyers and you played parties and, you know, it was, it's fun stuff, man. And, you know, I put out my first record in high school, um, My senior year, Rise One, so I was involved, you know, enough to like, you know, want to do, want to experiment with a little business and, you know, yeah. the music industry, it was cool.
0: That's cool. So did you, um, you know, because basically you look at people who run independent labels and it's like, they, you know, they fall into one category. They fall into the, they like music, but they really are into the business side of things. Or mm-hmm. two they're a failed musician <laughs> what, yeah. what uh what, what do you find and when i say failed like i don't mean that as a derogatory yeah. obviously
2: um totally i would go the first one just like music and the business because i'm not a performer i would know when i feel comfortable getting on stage and doing my thing yeah. so yeah yeah <laughs> definitely definitely love uh the industry side of it you know sure so,
0: and did you, uh, what was your introduction to kind of independent music? Like, you know, was it your... Yeah.
2: Was it you your... know what? It was, I had an older brother, you know, three years older than me that had a friend named Matt Griffith, which actually he was the singer of the band I first signed up to here, which was Rise One. Oh, nice. So, and he had cousins in San Diego that listened to Black Flag and Minor Threat. And D.I. Misfits in Seven Seconds. So when he would go on a Southern California road trip from NorCal, he would come back for all these tapes and then they would, my brother would get them and he would play them like when he would, you know, so, and that would be like my fifth or sixth grade is when I first started hearing Misfits, Seven Seconds, Dead Kennedys, you know. Sure. And started liking it. And, um, You know, then I started buying music myself, like Misfits tapes and Seven Seconds and all that kind of stuff. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Well, yeah. And uh, my first show, yeah, my first show was in eighth grade. It was um, that Revelation Records tour of '88. It was Youth of Today in bold. And they came to my little town. Yeah, they came to my little town. And I had had no idea who they were because an, a local band opened and everyone was going to the show and I had no idea who they were. And, um, I was like floored. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. You guys are freaking awesome. You know, break, I remember them playing break down the walls. Like that's the only thing I remember about <laughs> the whole show. Sure. I remember everyone moshing and them jumping around, but the one song I remember was like, break down the walls. <laughs> so awesome so ever since i saw that show i was like this shit's freaking awesome yeah um, that
0: was basically that was basically like your tipping point like once you saw that you're like oh there's there's no other thing i'm gonna pay attention to
2: i agree because i love heavy music i like fast music and i like good lyrics you know and i don't like you know you know there's other parts of heavy music that's not punk that I'm not necessarily a fan of. So it was just like right up my alley. I'm like shit, dude, these guys look like skateboard dudes. They don't look all crazy weird and they play heavy ass shit that's awesome. So it's like sign me up. Yeah. So, that's that's really cool. spent, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the tipping point. So
0: Nice, nice. <clears throat> and the um so then as you were going through high school and obviously you started once once that show hit and you started to get into everything else and started to travel to shows. And so, you know, putting out your, putting out a record your senior year is definitely, um, you know, it's ambitious because I mean, I look at myself and it's like, you know, when I was playing in bands, like towards, you know, I was playing in bands, sophomore, junior, and senior year. And like, by default, I put out like, you know, Taken's first demo and Taken's Mm -hmm. seven inch just because, you know, I didn't know how to talk to a record label. So it definitely was like, but the fact that you were like, hey, like, I, I never wanted to be like, hey, I'm going to launch a record label. It was like, hey, I'm going to put out my band stuff. So what kind of gave you what gave you the idea where it's just like, all right, you just did you want to do it just based on the fact you wanted to help your older brother's friend? Or was it just like, hey, I really want to kind of, you know, give this a try as a business plan, so to speak?
2: It was definitely a mix of the two, because okay. um, I was started collecting vinyl and, and started getting interest in record labels and how they're branding and stuff. So I was like intrigued by record labels a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, this band up to here was just so good. And I just felt like, man, this band needs a a record. And it's like, well, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I just like stepped up to the plate and they were like, sure, if you want to, man. And, you know, I got help with like Kevin seconds from seven seconds was like the dude that helped me like, talk to national record pressing and figure out how to get it on that and like who to talk to so he kind of helped me really um yeah <laughs> that's totally a,
0: that's a, that's amazing so ba- basically you can say uh you know kevin seconds helped rise records get their start
2: yeah and he <laughs> later re-released that rise one on his record label eating blur records he put out some records on eating blur and he re-released up to here so even back then, as like an eighteen year old kid, like my mentor Kevin Seconds like re-released my record. So I was like, "Holy shit, man! That's freaking awesome!" Right? So,
0: that's incredible. That's incredible.
2: Yeah. So I had some good luck right away, you know, because it's really good album. It's it's a mix of like Dag Nasty, meets Descendants. You know, it's like super catchy and edgy. It's really good.
0: That's awesome, and so that yeah,
2: still holds up today too, man. Yeah, um,
0: like you can listen to it and be like, "That's not yeah. that, that's not that dated."
2: No doubt, it's like nothing you'd be embarrassed of ever. You know, it's like, right? You know, we'll, we'll hold up forever. So
0: that's imp- that's impressive. So when yeah. you, when you were uh, when you were in high school, obviously, since you got bit by, you were interested in music and sports. Um, did you you know Did you get good grades? Like, what were you interested in?
1: From
2: yeah, I mean, I was kind of a B student. You know, um, yeah. probably could have been an A student if I would have worked harder. But you know, I just. I had so much going on. I was a skateboarder. I was very social. I was going to shows, so I just chose. Bees were just good enough for me because I knew I wasn't going to be going to UCLA or Berkeley. I knew I was going to go to a state college, and bees were plenty good to get into just about any state college. And I ended up going to Chico State, which you know was a fun college town, which is pretty close to my hometown. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so did you? You you always had the intention of like of going to college and like that was always kind of part of your plan or was that something you were oh, just yeah. like, uh, okay.
2: Cause I'm sometimes... always part of the plan. Nice.
0: Um, yeah. what did you, uh, what did you end up getting your degree in at Chico state?
2: At, in geography.
0: Yeah. And that, that's something that I was going to talk to you about as well. Like how, um, you know, your job, I imagine the job that you got, obviously, transitioning out of Chico State, um, you know, that mm-hmm. was the sort of, because you, you, like, was it a cartographer or something?
2: Yeah, I was, like, a GIS specialist, which is geographic information specialist, which is, like, digital map making, um, but there's, like, data attached mm-hmm. to it, like spreadsheets and information that you can, you know, so each little squiggle on the, your computer has a table of information and you can analyze stuff and do all sorts of stuff. So I worked for the federal government as a contractor for like eight years. So right out of college, I did that. And then, you know, I did the label on the side, just as a hobby, just put out a couple records here and there just for fun. Right. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, that, that, then, that's,
0: that's what impressed me too. Cause I remember you telling me, I was talking to you as you were still, I think you're in your last maybe like year, year and a half of working as a contractor and mm-hmm. you are sort of transitioning out to doing the label full time. But I was, uh, I was impressed because it's so funny. I just always have this notion of people that are involved in independent music. Um, you know, they have uh, varied interests, but when you told me that you were a cartographer, I was like, who the fuck ends up being a cartographer? Like that's just so random. <laughs> no it's, so, it's so random. So like, how did you, uh, how was that something that you got into in college?
2: Well, I love to travel, you know, and, you know, back when I was driving around doing road trips, you've had freaking maps, you know, cause there were no GPSs. So I've always loved maps and I've liked to travel and I liked how maps are, have a little bit of artistic graphic design to it. You know, there's a little aesthetics involved with mapping and, you know, when you go and sit down your college major, it's like you go through all these, like, you want to do this? I'm like, no. You want to do this? No. <laughs> I'm like, I knew I wanted to do something like science, like geology or geography or environmental science, because I was, you know, kind of intrigued with, you know, the environment, you know, because I thought it was interesting, more interesting than just number crunching or economics. So I needed something more than just numbers so So something that
0: something that kind of like had a creative element to it as well
2: yeah exactly and uh you know i was always pretty good at geography like i kind of know where the countries are and i have i'm pretty good with cultures and Mm -hmm. i already had kind of a leg up on people um because i traveled right out of high school i did my europe trip and i totally traveled all, all over the place and you know so did you So geography it was man
0: did you uh so when you did the uh you did the stereotypical after high school experience of uh going to europe and backpacking and uh, doing all that
2: yeah i think i did it one year after my first year of college because i went to a junior college first butte college in chico Mm -hmm. and then i did it when i was 19 so i did it um after my first year it's pretty cool i went with my brother like five weeks it was awesome
0: oh nice that's cool it's always nice when you have uh someone who you know you get along with Mm because i've I've definitely heard horror stories of people being like oh yeah dude best friends go over for a month and then by the end of the month they're like i fucking hate that person like they just (laughs) they can't spend any more time with them they're like yo let's take a year off from our friendship
2: (laughs) yeah no doubt no doubt
0: um and so, uh, so like, like you said, obviously as you were doing the, you know, cartographer stuff, um, were, mm-hmm. were your parents stoked on you kind of, you know, uh, like, did your dad have expectations of like, Oh, Craig, you should probably be looking into a doctorate or like, did they kind of let you forge your own path in a way?
2: Yeah, definitely. They never pushed me to like do anything I didn't want to do because, you know, I had a goal and, you know, I, um, fulfilled them. I got a job, like, right after college, so quick, so I was, like, already in this little career at a very young age, just right out of college, so I kind of just fell into this position, this entry-level position that, you know, taught me all about GIS, because when I graduated, you don't know shit about it, you know, sure, so it's, right. like, <laughs> this stuff you have to learn on the job because they don't teach it, so it was cool. I got basically taught this fancy computer system that and got paid for it, you know, and it ended up, you know, I ended up moving up the ladder, you know, over the years. And, you know, I I had a really good career, but then Devil Wears Prada and, uh, these other bands were just like getting big. And I was like, I can quit this day job business and, uh, eventually did.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You, so like, as you were, uh, as that point started to come for you where, Mm -hmm. where it was like, all right, I need to either choose one or the other. Um, was that in some way, shape, or form a difficult decision for you to be like, "All right, I'm turning down"? Because I mean, government jobs for anyone that doesn't know, like they pay they pay really well. Um, and I mean, I imagine you were getting paid. You know, like you said, you moved up the ladder, you worked hard, so you were yeah. I mean,
2: I was decent pay. I mean, I was definitely bought a house and you know could do all that stuff. Yeah. Um,
0: and were you were you living were you living up in like the the same area? You hadn't moved to Portland yet,
2: right? Yeah, that was actually moved to Portland, got a job in Portland for the government agency, and then moved to Roseburg, Oregon, um, within that same government agency, but to a district office. So I was kind of like the leader of GIS out of this district office with like 200 you know, people.
0: Oh, got so. it, got it. Um yeah. and so like when you when you reached that fork in the road um you mm-hmm. know was it was it pretty agonizing for you to be like oh man I'm really taking a gamble even though you knew that obviously things were going well with you know like you mentioned the bands um Yeah was it was it tough for you to kind of
2: make that leap It was because I had a good career I had good insurance you know I had a steady paycheck and um you know I probably was pretty conservative I probably could have quit my day job sooner and I did, but I wanted to th- just be really clear that the label could pay the bills and you know continue you know paying my mortgage and all that stuff, so yeah, well
0: you're it seems like you're very you've always struck me as a very very practical person, like you definitely, definitely. yeah you definitely aren't like the sort of hey, I'm gonna throw caution to the wind, fuck that like I, i'll I'll dive yeah. I'll dive right in it's like no, here's
2: a spreadsheet cautious.
0: yeah, here's a spreadsheet here's everything that I need to make over the next, like, five to ten years in order to feel, like, comfortable with what I'm doing. Totally. So, well, that's, a, yeah, I, it sounds like it was, like you said, it was difficult, but then something you had already kind of planned out, so.
2: Yeah, I had to do it. It was looking me straight in the eyes. It's like, here's your dream. <laughs> I mean, at one point, you got to just take it, you know, and not ever say, coulda, shoulda, woulda, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. And at, at that point, I kind of just knew, I was like, because you know, after a while, you average so much from your distro and your merch. So after a while, there's just you know, you're going to make this much and, you know, this much is expenses and royalties and this is yours. And, you know, you can kind of do some rough calculations and stuff. So definitely did it. And, you know, looking back now
0: it was obvious it was obviously the wrong decision. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and so kind of as that stuff was hitting like even before you had to kind of make that proverbial choice when the fork in the road came up when did things start to feel i guess real for you as the label where it was like hey i'm taking you know calls on the day job like you know you you were juggling a lot and things really started to kind of like Holy crap! Like maybe not even so much like sales numbers, or you know when your your record started to chart on the Billboard charts, or you know when did it start to feel, I guess, kind of real for
2: you? Yeah, probably two thousand and eight, I'd say, four years ago, Mm -hmm. right? And you know, I think I quit my day job about four and a half years ago, or something like that. I kind of losing track. Four or five years ago, so right during that time Mm -hmm. is when I knew, like, I was kind of you know, not my day job. It was affecting my day job because I needed to do stuff for the label. And I was like, okay, I can't do this. I would get home and do like hours of work for the label, go home, go to work the next day and then do more label stuff after hours. And it was just like, I have to pick one. And, um, you know, like I said, the money was coming in to justify it. And, uh, so it was after that devil Wars prod of the plagues record came out mm-hmm and um you know dance and dance was doing good emma rosa was doing good and a lot of my baby bands were selling a couple you know a couple thousand copies like no matter what you know it seemed to be you know even even the baby band's first record still sell enough to like you know make a profit and it wasn't too risky so
0: right um and kind of kind of hitting on the uh you know we were talking about obviously you being in portland and i always um like you said, you made a very deliberate decision to be there as a person. Um, and I've always, I've always admired the fact that you've never really played by the proverbial quote unquote rules of, you know, what a industry standard of like, dude, you got to be in LA, you got to be in New York. You have to be in these like central hubs of music. Yep. And you were always, and you were always like, yeah, no, I'm just going to stay up here. I'll do my thing up here. Um, and, exactly and then people and then people had to obviously come and sort of be like wait who who the fuck is this label up in portland like what what does this make sense um i've just always thought that that was really cool and i imagine that was a very deliberate choice for, on your end as well where you're just like yeah i don't ever want to move to those places
2: yeah i mean i like the small towns big city feel portland has and la new york are awesome cities and you know i understand most industry people are there, but I've, like, I, like you said, I just feel no need. I have to be there. So, you know, I could live wherever I wanted, you know, right now and, you know, and I'm still here. I just feel like you just don't need to live there. I mean, you do need to travel there occasionally, but you know, that's easy. right? Yeah, that's so, yeah, I, think- I kind of like being off the grid a little bit. I like being under the radar. You know, I think rides is still kind of just under, under the radar still a little bit and um you know we found a little niche and i kind of like where we're at right here so
0: yeah and it, it's it's funny because i i do see i mean obviously the label game has changed so much since like obviously you know you and i both originally got into it and like it's in you know the mid '90s is really when thi- you know when independent labels like you know Victory or whatever started to be able to you know make a substantial amount of money off of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but the the concept of okay, it comes out on this record label, so I will buy it and I will trust it. You know, like like I yeah. said, like Victory, Fat Records, you know, Epitaph,
2: Revelation, really? oh, yeah.
0: exactly. Whereas like now that doesn't exist as much because um, you know because kids are focused less on what comes out in a record label and more so like, Oh, I like this band. Um, and I've seen obviously your approach, especially the past two years as a label to be, uh, so diverse that first of all, you bum people out (laughs) because people are like, what what do you mean? You're signing a band like the Acacia strain and you put out hot water music. Um, you know, people that doesn't compute in a lot of people's heads, but they're just like, Oh, that doesn't make any sense. But like, you know like we said there's no allegiance to one record label so was that kind of your uh the point of like all right i will cherry pick the best bands of sort of each genre that i personally am into um and just kind of unleash it to the world
2: you bet man why not i love all those bands and uh and i like several types of music and um i feel like by no means should rise records have one sound i think that would be ridiculous and um you know, no offense to labels that stick with one sound. I mean, whatever, but that's not us. And you know, we do tend to stay under that in that all ages scene, which is very diverse. You know, and uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it's great. You know, having early November and Acacia Strain and Further Seems Forever, and you know, of Mice and Men, Sleeping with Sirens, Memphis May Fire. But they all we all went to Warp Tour yesterday in Portland. We all had an after party at my office, and like you know, transit was hanging out with Memphis may fire and of mice and men was hanging out with man overboard. And it was cool just to see, you know, these dudes just hanging out. It's like, you know, they play different music, but still awesome. Whether, you know, it's, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's really interesting because even though I think, I honestly do believe that, you know, rise gets a very, you, as a label get a very hard time. Like people rake you over the coals for, you know, whatever millions of different detractors on the internet, which is obviously right. you're used to it at this point. Um, yeah, sure. and it's like, I find, uh, I find a lot of that, uh, you know, I guess hate unwarranted based on the fact that it's like, you can't like you know a band like sleeping with sirens. It's like, yeah, they may not be aware of, you know, bands like whatever, Jawbreaker, Youth of Today, stuff that you and I are obviously, you know, mm-hmm. very familiar with and like passionate about because that's what we grew up with. Um but you know, you can't uh you can't fault a person for either not being introduced to that or, you know, that that just not being part of their cultural upbringing because you know, they're younger. Like they they have different cult they have different right. touchstones from their own musical upbringing. Um Right. And so I think that's, you know, even though, you know, a band like Man Overboard, who's obviously very in touch with that, versus a man like, a band like Of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. who's not as in touch, it's like they still do come from the same sort of tree, but just different seeds, if that makes any
2: sense. <laughs> right. It's definitely true. And the critics that are so harsh, like, do they do they want everyone to think like them? I mean, that's really weird. I kind of like people to have free thinking and be able to... Like what they want and not be harassed for it. And I think it's a beautiful thing, diversity, just like religion. Like I respect everyone's religion and I respect everyone's like musical taste. And I'm not one to like, you know, shit talk, but you know, I'm used to it now. And you know, we get a lot of hate, but you know, it's that just means like you're, you're getting bigger. You know what I mean? So it's like if people that hate you spend enough. Effort to like write on your message board or whatever, then I guess you're succeeding. So I'll take it as a compliment.
0: Right, right. So do you you basically just use that as sort of fuel to fire? I presume.
2: I mean, I I guess. I mean, I've just I've been getting so much shit talk since Anatomy of a Ghost back in 2004.
0: (laughs) You're like I'm used to it now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the local bands hated Rise Records because we signed this shitty band called Anatomy of a Ghost, and they were all thinking their band's better and they should have got the record deal. So the jealousy turns to hate. And then, you know, so i it's been, yeah, it's been like nine years of, <laughs> of, of hate, but you know, I'm used to it. And like I tell people for like every one person typing this hate message, there's like nine people that actually like it and just aren't commenting that are just taking the information to themselves. Right. And, you know? So. Yeah,
0: yeah, no. And that, that, that's good. Cause obviously it's like, I mean, at the beginning, I'm sure it hurts, but then as you grow as a person where you're just like, okay, well I can't let that affect, you know, what I'm doing or, you know, what I want to accomplish with the label. It's like, you just gotta, you know, take, take, take the lumps and move on from it.
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: Um, and so when you were, I always find this interesting to hear from people's perspectives, but You know, when you were kind of making that decision and, um, you know, the the record label was taking up more of your focus, like, did you have to have that discussion with your parents where it's like, hey, I'm going to quit this job that makes sense to you? Because, I mean, a record label doesn't make sense to parents. Like, that doesn't, you know, they're like, oh, are you going to be Capitol Records, Craig? Like, what does that mean?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they were totally stoked and um, totally had my yeah.
0: Oh really? That's cool. So they they had. Oh yeah. You, you you tried to like? Did they were they kind of aware that things were going well for you, or was it kind of like, oh wow? Like, oh yeah,
2: I kept them in the loop. You know, finding. You know, I met my dad, and I would discuss it, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I I mean, Ray, I'm an entrepreneur, man. I can't be making maps, dude. So my dad <laughs> knew. My dad knows. You know, I was selling cinnamon toothpicks in high school in fifth grade for like a buck. You know what I mean? And like. Buying nerds candy for like forty cents and then flipping it for like two bucks at lunchtime. Dude, you
1: like...
0: were – I actually, it was so funny because I had a discussion with somebody about this the other day where it was like, um, I and actually I, may, I I talked to my mom about this too. Where, tell me if this sounds like something that you would obviously do. I okay. in in elementary school, I for whatever reason thought it would be a good idea to take like I don't even know where I got these photographs but like cuz I, I wasn't printing them off you know online cuz that was in like you know third grade so um but I would print a or I'd get a picture of or no 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 it was baseball cards I'm sorry so I'd I'd get a i would i would get get a baseball card I'd have my either mom or dad sign that card as that person, so like whatever, Jim Abbott, a picture for the Angels. I would have a card, I'd have them sign Jim Abbott, I'd take it to school and I would try to sell it as if it were Jim Abbott's autograph. Which, I mean, I know, retrospectively, I was like, holy fuck, like that's like... like, That's terrible. But like, I I remember, like, I think it was after the third or fourth day where it's like I would bring, you know, I sold a few cards to kids and I was stoked. And then my mom was like, Hey, why am I signing these cards for you? And then I told her, I was like, Mom, I'm going to make a lot of money off of this. And And then she totally was like that. You can't do that. Ray, right. like that—that's ripping people off. And then I was like, oh, "You're right. I'm it's sorry.
2: Broad. You could
0: go to jail." <laughs> totally. <laughs> and so whatever. I mean, all's well that ends well. I learned. I gave the money back. That's funny. But yeah. But that—that's cool that you had that. Uh, obviously, you had a more admirable hustle than I did. But uh yeah, of like having, <laughs> have, of being like, yo, I can buy this for X amount of dollars, but sell it for Y at this yeah, point. Yeah, and I'm a
2: happy customer. Like, they they, they wanted it. It's like, all right. It's like, I'm not forcing them to buy it. You know, the cinnamon toothpicks was insanely high profit margin. So I don't for a buck piece. I buy like, you know, a pack of 250 and get that cinnamon oil and dip it in there. So... Dude, that's I mean, in, that's incredible. So,
0: was that was the what was your what was your first job in high school? Like, kind of your first real
2: first job in high school was at a pet store in like freshman year when I was like actually eighth grade going into my freshman. I worked there for a couple summers. Okay, at this pet store, I was like the fish aquarium guy. You know, oh, the sure. fish expert.
1: Sure, that's
2: inc- that's make, incredible. Making uh, two two eighty five an hour because back then California could pay people under 18 like this super low wage man so it was ridiculous I remember getting like 13 dollar paychecks and I worked like all weekend and shit
0: (laughs) you're like that this isn't even worth it
2: (laughs) oh man it was I needed something to do and I liked fish and you know I got to learn about that whole you know aquarium fish stuff
0: right right what so where do you where do you think that entrepreneurial spirit comes from like did your did your dad have that hustle did your mom have that hustle or is that kind of just you know like what? something
2: you i just think my did? grandpa's both my grandpa's were kind of hustlers like my dad's dad was a businessman and sold like pipes like conduit pipes just like this weird in- niche industries you know like had this japanese business part partner and in like pipes weird stuff like in benicia california you know uh-huh. Bay. sure and uh my other grandpa wasn't so much of a businessman. He was like a welder and then ended up doing some engineering type stuff later, but he kind of always wanted to be, but I don't think had the opportunity to like just do it. But you know, they're both, yeah, my mom and dad, not so much Mm -hmm. business hustlers. So it might've skipped a generation there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think
0: genetically that we can trace something back to that. Yeah. Um, and sort of, uh, you know, kind of like wrapping things up, um, you know, like like you said, you, I mean, Rise has always been sort of, a, like you said, a, a niche, and you've always tried to, you know, keep the operation small and everything. Um, and so, you know, now that the label is kind of, you know, where it's at, where it's like the, you, you've been able to weather the storm of the way the music industry has drastically changed. Um, and yep. I'm sure you've obviously, you've been affected, but you've been able to adapt. And that's obviously why you've kind of, you know, you, the the adjective of rise core or whatever you'd like to call it, you know that people decided to put on your bands like you know four mm-hmm. or five years ago. You know you're kind of you do still have some of those bands, but you've obviously grown. For sure. You've grown past that, and not mm-hmm. and, and not saying past that in a derogatory way, but just like okay, here's here's these yeah. other here's these other these other genres of music that I really enjoy. Um, and so you know, kind of where you're where you're poised right now, and um, you know looking looking, I guess, to to the future where it's just like, all right, you know, you basically... You seem like a person where you're comfortable where everything is at and you're not looking to make any insanely drastic changes where you're like, all right, I want to, you know, fucking conquer the world in the sense of, like, I want to make every other record label obsolete.
2: Um, Yeah, no way. You know, right now it's like I have the if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Cause things are going great. You know, I'm going to keep doing like what we're doing right now, which is, you know, having a nice diverse roster with bands that want to tour a lot and, um, you know, keeping up on the social media, like video, we're pumping videos out. We think, you know, that's kind of the best selling tool these days, or it's just like videos, visual stuff people can see on YouTube. Um, you know, so we're going to just keep doing what we're doing and I have no aspirations to like sell to a major or to be a huge label. And I don't want to crush other record labels or be competitive. I mean, sometimes we compete for bands, but you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I'm not, um, spiteful at all
0: right so. you your your personality strikes me as such where it's like you're yeah you're obviously dedicated to business and you're keeping your business's best interests at heart but it's like you know you're you're a laid-back surfer dude and
2: like <laughs> i agreed i agreed you know i don't want conflict or turmoil you know i want both parties to be happy i want you know a win-win I like win-win situations like you help me i help you we need each other you know which is true like bands need record labels and record labels need bands and um you know they need fair deals you know we give good deals and don't right want too much you know we're not trying to get too greedy we need enough to, to do what we do but not too much to like screw the artist over so
0: right right no that's then that's and it's funny because it's like you know I think I've obviously seen online where it's like people, you know, like we were talking about the haters and detractors where it's just like, you know, Mm -hmm. like the, well, you don't hear, you know, bands that whatever break up or leave rise or whatever the case may be. It's like, you really don't see a lot of the feedback from the bands as you might have seen where, you know, bands that leave, you know, not using them as a scapegoat, but like, you know, like victory, victory records, like obviously bands leave the label and they're like lawsuits and et cetera, et cetera, where it's like, at this point, you know, band. I mean, bands may immediately talk crap on Rise if they, you know, for whatever reason, you know. But at the end of the day, they're really not. They don't have a leg to stand on. They're like, "Oh, Rise sucks," but then they don't have anything to back that up.
2: I mean, illegally they don't because we pay royalties and we, you know, do right. what we do. Yeah. You, know? you, live but, to, you, you live up. You know, it's
0: you live up to your end of the bargain.
2: Yeah, totally. And you know, we try, and just sometimes. You know, bands get bummed if they don't get huge, and sometimes they wear the scapegoat, and they're like, "You didn't do this," and we're like, "Okay, well, we tried, man." You know, what else can we say? So yeah. Um, but definitely, there's not much to talk about. Rise and artists, former rise artists, just because there's we kind of treat our bands good, man. We pay them and we hang out with them when they come to Portland. We take them out to dinner and treat them good, and we talk to them on the phone all the time and help them get tours so uh, you know i think most bands realize that we're, we're we're helping them and uh you know haven't had any really bad apples so it's been been kind of nice
0: yeah that's that's cool and, and kind of like i said wrapping up like kind of th- something that honestly didn't really strike me when we first started to talk on this conversation but like it struck me now just in the middle of it where it's like you look at uh you know, you look at personalities within music that obviously have this very sort of winner takes all. No one else can exist besides my, whatever it is, record label business venture. Um, but, you know, th- they're basically egomaniacal in, in very many ways. It's like they're mm-hmm. the record label is an extension of themselves where it's just like, Oh yeah. Like if my record label is successful, that means that I am the shit or I'm the best person in the world or whatever, whatever right. their value is attached to that, where it's just like, For you, it seems like if as long as the label still is able to provide you the living that, you know, you're comfortable with and you're able to kind of exist doing what you want to do, you know, like you'd be you'd be fine with that.
2: I agree. And I don't need much to have fun or be happy because money doesn't buy happiness. And, uh, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy, you know. Yeah.
0: Well I think I yep. think I think those no are fancy
2: watches or anything. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're you're not you're not you're not rolling to shows in in you're you're, you're Bentley.
2: <laughs> nope, don't have a Bentley. But uh yeah, I don't have I wear $29 H&M pants and I wear vans, and <laughs> right. You no, know, I have a $100. I have to have a $100 pair of docks, you know. I so, you know. Yeah. Go big every once in a while, but some people wouldn't think that's going big but i still think 100 bucks is a lot for a pair of shoes so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I,
0: I don't think uh this interview could be left off at a better place than saying 100 dollars shoes are too expensive so
1: <laughs> I,
2: I,
0: I i appreciate you hanging out with me craig and um yeah i hope you had fun in some way shape or form
2: right on Ray. i really appreciate it and uh great talking And i hope to see you in person too man